On this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast, I am welcoming Kyle Senra, who covers the Packers for full press coverage. How are you doing today? Hey, James. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I figured uh, the, the Packers are an interesting team, uh, and you cover the Packers, so you can provide some insight into exactly what's going on here. And I know a lot of people are not necessarily all that thrilled with how uh, their offseason has gone, most notably the draft. Uh, do you share that same uh, sentiment that they did not necessarily do all that well during the draft, or do you see something that they have there more of a long-term picture? I mean, I can see the the long-term logic behind this draft. And even so, it doesn't mean I have to like it. Uh, and there's certainly you know, early picks, especially, that are very questionable, and a lot of the times, it, it's not so much the pick itself, but it's who else is on the board at the same time that really, you know, makes it makes it worse, I suppose. I, I, for one, don't mind the Jordan Love pick. Just because backup quarterback for the Packers, if nothing else, that's been atrocious over the last decade, essentially. I mean, Matt Flynn, uh, very clearly the uh, the best of the backup quarterbacks. I remember my uh, co-host Sam and I on our, uh, a few episodes ago for the Full Press Packers podcast we talked about our Packers all-decade team, and obviously Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, and we had the discussion. I almost wanted to make it, uh, instead of starting quarterback, the backup quarterback spot, because it would have been an interesting discussion, but then it really wasn't. It was Matt Flynn by a mile, because he's the only one who actually came in and, and did something, won enough games to keep them afloat in 2013. So if nothing else, Jordan Love gives them a, a high upside, talented backup that they can play. I mean, last year was Tim Boyle. And I mean, uh, we had Deshaun Kaiser, and I mean, you, you know, don't need to tell you about Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, uh, definitely but, not. I mean, not necessarily the, the greatest experience in Cleveland, and obviously did not go well for him in Green Bay either. And I mean, this is Believe Land as a podcast. I did believe in Deshaun Kaiser even when he was drafted by the Browns. Uh, definitely have had him in uh, one of my league of record uh, fantasy league. So. Uh, yeah, kind of let me down there. Thanks, thanks, Kaiser. Uh, <laughs> not, I, passed, I passed up on on a chance to get Watson, thinking, oh yeah, I'll get Kaiser later. I think I think you'll do well with the Browns. Yeah. Well, it wasn't all on him. Uh, you know, Hugh Jackson, um, notorious yeah. buffoon. Um, <laughs> you know, just everything in Cleveland at that time was just there. There was a certain way things had to go for Kaiser to possibly be successful, and all of them went wrong. So let's just leave it at that. I'm Deshaun Kaiser. <laughs> But, but I mean, even last year, I mean, for a team that with Matt LaFleur trying to establish a culture, he decided, you know what, Tim Boyle's a better backup than Deshaun Kaiser. That's that's not a good sign. Uh, I don't even know if Tim, I don't think Tim Boyle was drafted. I'm pretty sure an undrafted free agent that the Packers have had for the last couple of years. And uh, I think now, if, any, if, if anything, this speaks to probably the end of his tenure with the, the team, as I ex expect them to go with Love as the primary backup from here on out. I, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, I know, I know there's the idea they don't want to rush him, and it seems as though he's got the talent. And I like Love's ability to get outside the pocket and throw on the run, but maintain his accuracy, because his accuracy is pretty good and, and got a decent enough arm. Uh, and all that, it's it's really the decision making. He, you know, the the mental processing of the game. He doesn't seem like he's quite up to par. It didn't seem like he was even last year necessarily quite up to par for college level, let alone NFL level. So, uh, but as a backup, he could learn quite a bit. I think from Rogers over the next, we'll say at least two years. Uh, just looking at at the way Aaron Rodgers' contract is structured, there's a lot of. I mean, this year it's impossible. Uh, but like ne even next year, they don't save very much if they get rid of him or if they trade him. Or I don't think they'll ever cut him. But uh, the Packers with the, I think it's a 37 million dollar cap hit, and they only save six million if if uh, they get Rodgers off the books next year. So if they decide to trade him even next year, you've got Jordan Love who will have had one year of NFL experience, being in the locker room, learning offenses and stuff, and then suddenly have to go right into it. And you don't even really have the money to take advantage because, you, again, most that con, Roger, contract with Rodgers eats up a, a lot of dead cap. It makes a lot more sense to do it in, two, in uh, 2020 when uh, by trading Aaron Rodgers, they'll save about $20 million in cap space. And that way they could trade Rodgers, go with Love, who's had two years on the bench, and then – that 20 million they can use to sign some free agents that season and, and bolster the team around Jordan Love to the stronger than the point where they can do right now with uh, Rogers contract. So that's the the logic behind it I think. In theory that makes sense. I mean you referenced it uh, earlier a, uh, a sort of a uh, a path they've been down before, right? Drafting Aaron Rodgers when Favre was was still there. Um difference here though is Rodgers came out when he came out of the draft, he was 
you know, NFL ready and, and, you know, probably should have gone to the 49ers that that's, you know, and <laughs> I guess they've been to a couple Super Bowls since, but they haven't won a Super Bowl. So maybe one of the biggest low key mistakes that has ever been made in the draft is the 49ers deciding to go with Alex Smith, who's a great quarterback, but not Aaron Rodgers level. And the Packers, I mean, for him to, to fall to them, it's kind of a no brainer. Whereas this, you know, they traded up for a guy that some talked about as maybe going in the top 10 simply because a quarterback needed team would be so desperate that they would trade up and, and take him. Ultimately, that didn't happen. Um, it seems like they must have gotten afraid that someone was trying to trade up to that 26 spot with the, the Dolphins uh, in order to get him. And for some reason, the Packers felt that they didn't want to risk that. Now, I, I again, I like his ability to throw on the run. And that seems like that's where the NFL is going. I, you know, I'd make the argument the three best quarterbacks are probably the three best at being able to throw accurately from outside the pocket, which is Mahomes, Wilson, and Rodgers. And that's really where NFL quarterbacks are gearing towards. So, you know, Love fits that, but he's not nearly as pro-ready as those guys were coming in. Yeah, it just it seems like they're they're trying to build some sort of long-term plan, prepare for the future, try to avoid an all-out tank job, which we've seen from a lot of teams, but it. In the same process, or in the process of doing so, it seems like they have possibly made Aaron Rodgers unhappy. And as we know with Aaron Rodgers, um, he's someone that can be made unhappy fairly easily, uh, depending on the situation. Um, not to get into his uh, his personal life, but it, obviously he does not even speak with his own family all that often. So it, it seems like it doesn't really matter that how close someone is to him, he is willing to just cut them out of his life completely. Now, truth be told, it does, and I, I love Aaron Rodgers, but it doesn't seem like he's the easiest person to please. So I don't think the Packers' priority should be, okay, what, what do we need to do to make Aaron Rodgers happy? That's not the right way to think about it. I know what upset me about the love pick. It's who was on the board. And actually, to, to be fair, I know everyone's saying, oh, they should have gone receiver in the first round. I wasn't crazy about any of the receivers that were left. I like Jalen Rieger and Justin Jefferson. If those two were still on the board, then yeah, absolutely. I think it's a big, a massive mistake to, to go with, against Love. Because I think those two bring the exact thing that the Packers need in a, in a number two receiver that they don't have. Those That quick t twitch separation ability. With Rieger, you also get the deep threat ability that he seems to excel at really well. Um so those guys were good. But then the, the receivers that remained, a lot of contested catch types like a T. Higgins or a Denzel Mims, I, I don't really think that's worth a first-round pick on any of them. So I don't mind them not passing up receiver. Uh, to be the player, though, that I really wanted for the Packers was Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. Uh, and we just saw – so this offseason, something big reveal, although we already kind of knew this about Mike Pettin, but the priority of, of the linebackers is – ability and coverage they decide to move on from blake martinez and sign former browns player christian kirksey uh kirksey on top of being a tackling machine for a couple of years with cleveland also really good in coverage so fits that really well problem is who's that second inside linebacker it all from all accounts it looks like it's going to be oren burks who's going to be that starting guy and burks actually pretty good in coverage it's it's the tackling ability really that he doesn't kind of have so i thought i thought queen is the you know, picture perfect of, of a Mike Pettin linebacker. And I don't know why they didn't go with him there. Cause I think you insert him into the lineup day one and, and him and Kirksey over the next couple of years is a quite a dynamic duo. And then, if, you know, eventually Kirksey's probably not going to be on the team. Queen can kind of take over as that main middle linebacker. So that, that's really the reason I'm upset about the love pick is because I specifically wanted Patrick Queen, but honestly, outside of him, I didn't really, I, I like Josh Jones, but still just a project tackle could have got guys later, although I'll get on that in a sec because I got to there's there's a there's to be honest there's another pick the Packers made that I have a much bigger problem with than than the Jordan Love pick because at the end of the day quarterback's really important and and if you're spending a late first on quarterback the hit rate's not the greatest but if it does hit that's a worthwhile investment. So you you mentioned that they should probably get a receiver and I understand that you know there's still a window of contention for the the Green Bay Packers you know it's between essentially them and the Vikings for the NFC North division and it, it really depends on who you ask who will win the division but I, I understand the the thought process of trying to find some sort of succession plan but what is the other pick that you are not necessarily all that happy with I know some people would say it's the A.J. Dillon pick, although I, I do like A.J. Dillon as a running back. Maybe a little early for a running back when there were a couple of receivers. I'm thinking of Brian Edwards that I really liked. So 
I was okay with that pick, but to me, it's the third round pick of Jashaya Degara, mm-hmm. tight end. Who it seems like that after they picked him, they uh, they came out and said we're changing him to fullback. So you spent a third round pick on a fullback in 2020. So and I looked it up. Okay, how important is the fullback to the offense? Because I know Danny Vitale played a, a key role at times. Um, former Brown. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the crossover between the Packers and Browns is is, uh, is quite common. Um, but the truth is, he only played 15% of the, the offensive snaps last year. The game where he played the most was Week 3 against the Broncos, which was a game where the Packers, one of the few games I think where they controlled fully, start to end uh, with, they were just able to kind of run as much as they wanted to. Um, and the Broncos, not a great run defense last year, so they were, <laughs> Packers were easily able to run as much as they wanted to. Even in that game, Vitale only played 33% of the snaps. So you spend a third-round pick on a player that, if all goes well, will play a third of the time. That, to me, is not a great investment. Like, I get the Jordan Levy, I don't, I don't have to like it. I get it in the first round at quarterback. That's that's what it needs. But for a fullback, a third-round pick, and I know NFL.com, they had a, a sixth-round grade on him, and I know the Packers didn't have the fourth trading up for Jordan Love, so they must have thought, oh, boy, this guy's not going to be there in the fifth round. But, I mean, if he's not, is that really a big deal? You can find another fullback even later. They seem to really think he's one of the best blocking tight ends, and they're going to move him to fullback. And, and it's going to, I, I think the plan there is to open things up for Jay Sternberger so that he doesn't have to block. Because my thing is, when I first saw that, you have you have this exact player already on roster. Uh, like, because there's no running back that's like AJ Dillon on the team. So, a completely different skill set from what Jones, Jones and Williams have. So, it makes sense to bring on AJ Dillon just to add a different dynamic to that backfield. I get behind that, and that can work. And, and, you know, Dylan's a great power back and that short yardage guy. And the other thing with the running backs, both Williams and Jones were in the final year of their contract. So AJ Dillon could very well be the lead back there next year. So that, that made sense to me, but for a fullback, who's never really going to do anything. And again, same thing as with the first pick, a player on the board that I really wanted for the Packers was there. Uh, Lucas Niang, uh, offensive tackle, never talk of first round, but it seemed like he was someone who was expected to go in the second round as maybe I know uh, my co-host Sam liked him basically as much as Josh Jones is one of the top five, six tackles in the class. Um, an offensive tackle is a need and losing Brian Bulaga, they replaced him with a, someone just as old and Ricky Wagner. Uh, don't know how long Wagner is going to be around dealing with injuries as well. So I, I think the need for a, a, a plan of the future at right tackle is very necessary for the Packers who right now, the swing tackle is Alex Light, <laughs> undrafted free agent. He played one game last year. It was the 49ers game during the regular season, which to be, to it, you know, in defense of him is not a, a fair matchup to really go against having a, you know, first NFL action of the season. You're blocking Joey Bosa one-on-one or sorry, Nick Bosa. I always mix them up, but, or, you know, having a block, uh, I don't know, D Ford one-on-one. Like it, it really, and he did not play well at all, Alex Light, but it showed that, they really need a, a great swing tackle. And I think Lucas Niang could have came in, could have helped the team week one as a, a backup to either Bakhtiari, Wagner, if they get hurt, and at least some semblance of, of some average play at, at, or maybe just below average play at, at, out, of, out of a tackle spot. So I thought Lucas Niang would have been perfect there. But instead, they go with this, again, Jashai Dagara, technically a tight end, but they're going to play him as a fullback in 2020. I just, I didn't, that angered me more than anything that they'd spend a third round pick on a fullback. Doesn't it seem like they might be trying to, in, in addition, planning for the future, but a, a change of philosophy with some of the players that they're having? Because Aaron Rodgers is a very talented uh, quarterback, and he's done a whole hell of a lot with a whole lot of nothing for a lot, a large part of his career. Uh, you know, there have been guys which just like, there. there's not a lot to write home about, about some of the guys he's throwing to. So, I think maybe I'm trying to sell you on this. It's probably, I'm trying to do my best. Is trying to find some way to change with younger players and a different style because they realize that they're not going to be able to replicate what Aaron Rodgers does, no matter who comes in to replace him. And yes, I think that's absolutely the case. And we we kind of already started to see it last year. I think of the Cowboys game. 
where Aaron Rodgers didn't really do much, didn't really have to. It was all Aaron Jones just running through the Cowboys' defense. And Matt LaFleur was content. Okay, if they're they're not going to be able to stop the run, we're just going to keep pounding in with Jones. And I think Jones ended up with four touchdowns in that game, and Rodgers didn't throw a single touchdown. Uh, Because that's, you know, I think adapting to what you need as an opponent is is good of LaFleur. And I think that, yeah, they're just going to try and continue to push that that, uh, run-heavy approach. The thing is, they've got the defense to do it. Certainly played really well last year. Now it's going to have to be retaining some key people over the next couple of years, namely Kenny Clark. And I, I know for now that the draft is done and all all the major free agents have been signed, really the biggest news for the Packers that we're all awaiting right now is some extension talk. Uh, I know that the talk of Kenny Clark uh, working on an extension with the team predated the draft. So it's something that as the draft came, they kind of put it on hold and I think talks have kind of resumed again. So it seems like right now the biggest priority for the Packers is extending Kenny Clark, finding out what type of investment they need to make on him financially, not just, you know, maybe this year, you know, because right now uh, Clark would be playing out the, the season on the fifth year option at, I think it's 7.5 million. So he, I think Kenny Clark maybe wants to make a little more this year. So maybe have the extension kick in this year instead of kick in, you know, replace the fifth year option instead of after the fifth year option. So I think that's what the Packers are trying to figure out right now is exactly how much money they have, because I know there's a few free agents that they could sign. Tremont Williams comes to mind, um, who was an exceptional slot cornerback last year. I think one of the best in the league, uh, mostly because Chris Harris played primarily on the outside last year instead of his typical slot position. So I think for the main slot corners, Tremont Williams was among the best of the, in the league. And, uh, you know, even had in year, I, I think it's this would be year 15, he could still play. And so I, I'm wondering if the Packers, I know he's he's talked about wanting to return to the Packers, uh, and that really he's not talking to any other teams until he knows for sure that the Packers and him are either not agreeing on money or, or the Packers decide, no, we don't want you. So... You know, they're in a kind of a good position there where they, they can kind of be patient uh, with Tremont Williams and hopefully they can get him re-signed because I think right now on the defense, the only hole that I, I really see outside of if Oren Burks can be a true inside linebacker next to Kirksey is uh, who's going to be the slot corner. Because right now it, it'd either be Josh Jackson, who was a second-round pick a couple years ago, but, you know, not seen the field really at all. Uh, Chandon Sullivan, who was a, I think it was an undrafted free agent last year. Uh, they just re-signed him as, a, as an exclusive rights-free agent, and I thought he, he played decent when he when he was needed. But it, it's going to be a step down from Tremont Williams' play if uh, you know if, if he has to be the the slot corner. So I'm looking for those two things in particular: re-signing of of Kenny Clark and hopefully uh, the acquisition of Tremont Williams. I've even heard some Mike Daniels rumors, which would be nice to address that second defensive end spot. So uh, yeah, a few things hopefully happen for the Packers soon. It's it's funny you mentioned Tremont Williams. He was he was in Green Bay for so long, uh, came over to the Browns uh, for a short period, then went back to Green Bay. He seems like uh, he's been just kind of a staple in that Packers secondary for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great corner. Um, as far back as the Super Bowl year, he was the you know running mates with with Charles Woodson as that second corner, uh, primarily. So. Uh, yeah, Williams has had tons of success with the Packers. Now, looking at looking at who who the Packers are supposed to to play this year, um, some teams uh, could be difficult, but it seems like there are a fair amount of uh, there's a couple games where it, the Packers should eat, win easily, but there, there's some tough games on their schedule this year. Um, you know, go, going into the into the bye, they play uh, they play Minnesota, Detroit, New Orleans, and Atlanta. I, they they could easily they could be three and one. They could be two and two. I think two and two is probably a very safe uh, projection going into the bye through those four weeks. I mean, God forbid they could be zero and four. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, just, that's that's football. I mean, that's. You know, two division games, you can never take it into account. I mean, I, I just think of last year. The Lions, they won three games. They, they weren't a very good team. And the Packers barely beat them both times. It, it took Mason Crosby field goals as time expired to win both games. So <laughs> it, it, it's though, no matter how bad the Lions are, they'll always play the Packers tough. And notoriously, the Packers have actually not been that great at home against the Lions in the recent history. I mean, they beat them at home last year, again, off Mason Crosby (laughs) kicking it as time expired without leading once in the game. Um, 
they were they were uh, basically until he kicked that they were on the verge of losing three straight home games to Lions, which is insane. Um, I mean, even the last time that they lost two straight home games to the Lions, it was like the, the early 90s, uh, basically the Barry Sanders years. Um, so, it, you know, just kind of notoriously bad. And I think they've lost, I think it's something like three of the, or yeah, three of the last five and five of the last seven home games against the, the Lions, I think. It's so insane. it's it's been, it's, yeah, I know Lambo is not an easy place to play the Lions, apparently, at least of recently. And Matt Stafford's a great quarterback. So that, that always adds to the, the dynamic of it. So um, I guess the one positive aspect that I kind of like about the Packers schedule is that they play two division opponents right away off the bat with all the, you know, the tumultuous situation that is what we're, we're living in 2020. We have no idea what training camps are going to be like. And I know for the Vikings, for instance, they lost and we'll see Everson Griffin is still unsigned. He may return to the Vikings. But as of right now, they've lost five of their 11 starters on defense. Their top three corners, Linval Joseph and, and again, Everson Griffin. We'll see if he resigns or not. But you've lost two of your three best pass rushers and, and you know, Xavier Rhodes, who struggled last year. But it's your you're still your 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 three best corners on the team are all gone. So suddenly, as good as Jeff Gladney is, and as good as that was a smart pick in the first round, is his first NFL assignment going to be shadow covering Devontae Adams? Because that's that's a that's a welcome to the NFL moment. Um, so I actually almost think with with everything that the Vikings are going on with, where they're having to kind of rebuild this defense, playing them week one in Minnesota might actually be the best time to play them when they're still adjusting. I I, I could see vintage Aaron Rodgers performance where he's just hucking it up and and they're you know they might struggle to run against them, but if if you know, on Rogers arm, if they can win that game and, and just kind of blow away the Vikings in Minnesota, that's a great way to kick off the season as kind of as the team that's uh, you mentioned, probably the closest competitor in the division. Although I almost argue again with with this defense changing, I almost wonder if it's the Bears getting Nick Foles. If they if Nick Foles can get that team to even just average quarterback play, I mean, they probably make the playoffs last year. They're really close to it. Um, because I mean, they, they were, they were an eight and eight team with Mitch, Mitch Trubisky playing absolutely brutal. So, if, you know, Nick Foles doesn't really have to do much to push that team to where they're a playoff contender. So I, I worry about, honestly, I worry about all four teams in the NFC North from the Packers. They swept the division last year. It, it, it could be doable this year. And I, and I, and I still see the Packers as the favorites. I know there's talk of the Vikings, but again, with all these rookies, I, I wonder how that defense is going to do. Zimmer's a great coach and maybe he coached up those rookies to where they're, competing this year but i i'm skeptical of that i know a lot of the the vegas odds kind of have the packers and vikings around the same win total and i know uh cynthia freeland who's uh you know galaxy brain math wizard someone i, I trust quite a lot she actually has the vikings uh she ran i think like a hundred thousand different simulations of the nfl season and i think the vikings had an average win uh total of, of nine and the packers were 8.8 so they're close but it seems like a lot of people are favoring the vikings and I'm not. Maybe it's my Packers bias, but I'm not ready to say that yet. I think I think the Packers are still should be the favorites until they lose it. Yeah, um, that's that's definitely fair. Uh, the Packers are are a good team. Uh, my my only concern for them is is their schedule really because you know you look at those first four games, you know, two and two, just be safe right there. Okay, you know, safe projection. They win one division, lose one. You know, lose to New Orleans and, and beat Atlanta, let's say. Just a just a safe projection. When they come out of the break, that is a brutal stretch. At Tampa Bay, at Houston, Minnesota again, at San Francisco, that's a rough four-game stretch. And you can see things could go not so well for them, but if they play up to the level that they're capable of, they, they could win... And, you know, most of those games there. And uh, uh, we just recorded our uh, Full Press Packers pod episode last night. Actually, uh, just going to as soon as we're done here, I'm actually going to post it. So look for that on uh, Full Press Coverage Packers at FBC underscore Packers uh, on Twitter. Um, and we, we basically did that. We went through every single game and kind of talked about the scenarios. And I, th- I think the, the hardest part about it, I mean, just looking at the schedule, my mind was okay. The, the toughest game is Week Nine at San Francisco. We saw two games last year at San Francisco that were brutal. Uh, the Packers lost by a combined score of seventy-four to twenty-eight in those two games. So um, that's going to be not just it's not just difficult for that, but it's a Thursday night game 
you played four days ago against the Vikings in Green Bay, so at least it's not double travel like that, but still, on such a short break, having to travel over to the West Coast and take on the 49ers on Thursday night, that, that's that's asking a lot. I'm, I, I'm basically guaranteed that's going to be a loss. Um, and and I said this on the podcast, if the Packers are 7-0 and at this point and they get completely blown out by the 49ers, it doesn't matter that they're 7-0 and before that. That's going to be a real damaging to their psyche of can they compete and can they really compete for a super bowl um but as you mentioned I, I to be honest i doubt that they go into seven and oh into that game you mentioned it, a tough schedule and uh i look week three at new orleans and then week six at tampa bay two really tough road games against two teams that i know i certainly both ex- expect both to be in the playoffs um and i know sam and i were talking about uh at houston's kind of a trap game mm-hmm. and they're kind of you know it, 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 it seems like they've been the butt of all jokes uh, basically, until the Packers drafted, and then, then it started to be them. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that's that's a game that the Packers really can't overlook, and they'll be coming off a, a probably a tough game against Tampa the week before, staying on the road, knowing that you've got that that you know the week later you've got that two game slate essentially in four days. I wonder if that that Texans team is maybe something that by that point the Packers maybe look past a little bit when they really shouldn't because there is still talent there, and Deshaun Watson's still a great quarterback. Yeah, Deshaun Watson's great. Um... Houston definitely has that that trap game feel to it when you look at it because they're going to be they're going to be so focused on Tampa coming out of the bye, then of course they're going to look ahead to the the division game the next week after after Houston, and it's just it's a classic trap game scenario and it's just it's it's not good. <laughs> then you know as you said they had their own issues with San Francisco, but it seems like they have a little bit of relief as the schedule goes on. Jacksonville and Indianapolis back to back. Um. Then you then we got Chicago. Nobody knows what Chicago is going to be. Are we going to have Foles? Or are we going to have Trubisky at this moment in time? It could be either one of those guys, and they are equally as uh, much of a mystery of how well they're going to perform this year. Because you don't know if you're going to get, you know, uh, Nick Foles Eagles or you know Nick Foles everything before his Super Bowl run, uh, where you don't know what he's gonna he's gonna give you. Nick Foles with the Rams. Oh boy, that's the. <laughs> Then that's, they play the Eagles. <laughs> so, yep. I, a team that beat them last year. It was one of the three losses that they, they were handed. And luckily, that game's at home this time. So, it's not they're not going to Philly. So, they, they get to play at home. But it, it seems like the schedule gets a little bit easier as it goes on. Just that first half seems like it's going to be a, a brutal a brutal stretch. You know, and they finish up with the Lions, Panthers, Titans, and Bears. So, it seems like it's a little bit more forgiving on the, the second half than the first half. But... If they can come out 500 through those, through week nine, so the first eight games they go four and four, while probably not the most uh, pleasant thing to hear as a Packers fan, it's set up in a way that they could go on a run and build momentum towards the playoffs as the season progresses. I mean, and especially, you know, the NFC North is tough, but none of it's, they're all close, but none of these teams seem outstanding. I wouldn't be shocked if nine and seven wins the division. That wouldn't be a, a total surprise to me. So I think as long as the Packers can just just keep that pace and get to that nine ten win range, I think they're fine for a playoff spot. Certainly with, with three uh, wild card teams now. Um, but yeah, yeah, I do like the second half of the schedule a bit more. Um, I'm I that Titans game the, the la, even just the last two games of the season I think are pretty tough at home against Tennessee which okay a South team coming to Lambeau late December you'd think oh that's great but the Titans kind of play a North style that they they can run the football behind mm-hmm. Derrick Henry and that's going to be a tough game for the Packers especially if Ryan Tannehill continues his development I'm not expecting you know his touchdown rate or his yards per attempt to maintain what it was last year but I expect you know given time given a maybe a full training camp but at least being there for the full season knowing that you're the the franchise quarterback having the team pay you that big contract and kind of that that weight off Tannehill's shoulders in terms of trying to prove himself he proved himself last year and now it's he's in the zone can he can he now that he is the franchise guy could he step forward these next this like this season and just kind of continue that development with those receivers and if he can you know, watch the Titans certainly by the end of the year when they're probably going to be rolling. And, and, uh, you know, this is the Packers. I think it's their fifth, uh, primetime game of the season. And, uh, you know, what better primetime game than two teams that lost in the championship game between the Titans and Packers. There's, that's going to be an interesting storyline heading into week 16. And hopefully by that point, certainly the Packers I'm hoping for are both competing 
uh, again for for playoff spots. And then right after that at Chicago again, I I think I'd almost say I actually am more afraid of the Bears this year than I am of the Vikings. And I, I think I think specifically for the Packers to play because again the Packers get both those Vikings games in the first half of the season when that defense is still going to be molding. But then I think by this point. Foles should already be established unless he gets hurt then maybe it is Trubisky by that point but mm-hmm. I I just I expect Foles is going to be the guy at the end of the year and by that point maybe that defense for the Bears is rolling I know they've the Packers have kind of had them week one the last couple of years uh, and they've managed to survive both of those encounters but I wonder late in the year if it's going to be the case now what what is the the best case realistic scenario for the uh, the Packers this year so, so not complete homerism, not not complete, mm-hmm. not complete. Oh, they're going to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, but you know, best case record wise, what, what would you say? Yeah, yeah I, I don't see them beating San Francisco. So there's got to be at the most I could say is 15 and one. But again, <laughs> at, at New Orleans, at Tampa, those seem like they're both going to be losses. So I think if I really want to be optimistic, I could say 13 and three. But I'm, I just, I don't think they go six zero in the division again. I think, I think they lose somewhere. I'm looking at the last two division games: week fourteen at Detroit, week seventeen at Chicago. I, I, you know, call one. I think I'm going to call one of them a loss. So, I could see twelve and four. Okay. Uh, but again, the problem is, are they going to be able to? To is their run defense going to be able to win them games in the playoffs when needed? Um, and again, it, I don't really know, and we're not going to know. I don't. I think a. Until really week nine until we get a taste of san francisco again because that's you know nfc championship game everyone says okay they were one win away but they weren't really close in that game at all it feels like it's more than a game away almost um so i think that's a, a great measuring stick to see if can they really compete optimistically i do think you know i don't necessarily have the full faith in jimmy garoppolo and you know brady breeze wilson there's a there's a you know five really good teams in the nfc and I think the Packers could beat any of them in, a, in, a, in an elimination game. I also think they could easily just as just as easily lose to any of them in elimination game. So if I really wanted to be optimistic, I could say they could go 14 and 12 and probably lose the Chiefs in the Super Bowl because I don't know who's touching the Chiefs this year. Uh, just, nobody. <laughs> the, um, so Braden Holacek, our, our Chiefs managing editor, who I think uh, you probably know, actually, because he was uh, he was with you guys at, at Cover 32. Um, but anyway, uh, so Braden, he uh, he pointed out that the Chiefs retained most of their starters. The point where I think I think it's the biggest percentage of retained players from a Super Bowl team ever. So from one year to, to another, as long as the uh, Chris Jones signs his franchise tag, there's tons of continuity there. And with probably the best quarterback in the game, I I don't know. I, I don't think we've seen a team this poised to repeat basically since the Patriots every year that they've they seem to win right. And it, yeah. it's. But I mean, even the Patriots hadn't done it since 2003, 2004. So it's tough. It's tough to to really buy in that the Chiefs are going to do it. But part of me thinks it, because it's it's so unprecedented. Maybe they will. Like maybe this team really feels like they could. So I guess that's my kind of overall NFL prediction. I think the best case scenario for the Packers, unless they avoid the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, I think is a is a Super Bowl loss, unfortunately. But uh, even as much as as optimistic as I want to be, my my. I guess more realistic view is that they probably make the playoffs, either lose in the division round or the championship game again. All right, so give me. I'm, I'm used to those those disappointing playoff losses now. <laughs> give me your your worst case complete nightmare scenario now. Um, that so I guess it would be that the Vikings defense actually plays well and they beat them maybe not once but twice. Uh, so you know they you had a couple more losses there. Um, Detroit again beats them in Green Bay. <laughs> um. And uh, I know my co-host Sam was—he's kind of worried about that Falcons game on the Monday night week four. I'm not as worried really? because the Falcons—I de- I think the Falcons defense is kind of atrocious and they'll play through it. But Matt Ryan and Julio Jones could keep that game interesting. And I—and you know I think it, that's going to be a shootout. Like if if it, you know if it's a low-scoring game, the Packers probably win it. But if it's a high-scoring game shootout, I wonder if if you know if that defense can't keep you know can't stop them. Maybe Matt Ryan and, and Julio Jones squeak out a victory there. And if that's the case, and this defense really isn't as good, I mean, I don't. You know, I'm trying to stop Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Uh, yeah, I could. Uh, I don't think it's I'm trying to look at the schedule. I mean, I could see six and ten to be to be honest. Uh, I doubt that. I don't. And we talked about this on the podcast again. I don't see any scenario where they lose to Jacksonville or Carolina, especially because both games will be in Green Bay. 
Um, so I guess I guess at the end of the day, if they if everything really collapsed, they might go two and fourteen. No, <laughs> no, they, they, won't, they won't do that. But you know, even I know you said you kind of said, oh, an easy game with Indianapolis. Uh, easier, easier. Wrong. Certainly than the 49ers. <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. Easier, but still in Indy with a strong run game behind a great offensive line, that could be a tough task for the Packers. So yeah, I, I don't know that there's really more than maybe two guaranteed victories on the schedule. So anything from two to 14 wins seems uh, within the realm of possibility. Definitely. Uh, Concern with the Falcons game is interesting because I think the only thing worse than the Falcons uniforms is that roster. Um, Cause those uniforms are ugly. Well, I'd say the Jags uniforms are worse because they're the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, it's it's ugh, I, I it's and I, and I think if you just took the Falcons uniforms alone, they wouldn't be as bad. But they had a great jersey two months ago, <laughs> a month ago, basically. And I thought maybe arguably the best red jersey in the NFL because the NFL is littered with teams that are look great in black already, mm-hmm. like the Panthers the Saints, the Raiders, the Steelers. Like, you've got tons of teams that already have that black kind of cornered. And I look at the Falcons, and this black and white mostly, like, it doesn't stand out at all. And uh, of all of all the jersey changes, I think it's the worst. Not so much because the, the current jersey is the worst, but because of how far they fell. I would have put the Falcons maybe a top 10 jersey in the NFL. Again, certainly I think the best red jersey. And now they've completely taken the red out. It was the one color... It, it's kind of a color that defines the city. I think of the 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 Hawks, right? They, they're probably you know their their color is mainly red, black, and white, kind mm-hmm. of like the Falcons. Uh, the Braves, I don't know if I call that red. It's red. Um, they have red in their uniforms. Okay, red it red enough. Yeah, it's it's kind of the color of Atlanta is red. So why not? Why are you going away from that? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, uh, the Packers are a team that has a very traditional uniform. Um, I I'm some, somewhat of a a fanatic of uniforms and logos and stuff like that. So when teams bring out new uniforms, I'm I'm fairly judgmental. And the Packers have a very classic one. I'm glad they haven't done anything drastic to change it. Um, you know, speaking of that, the the Browns went in the opposite direction of being flashy and all this stuff. They went back to a traditional look, and thank God they did that because there, there's just certain things about a uniform, in my opinion, that you know, simplicity and I guess. Just being clean overall. And that's what the Packers have. I think that's what the Browns now have. But the Falcons went in the complete opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, I, it is clean technically. It's not too flashy, but it's just so boring. And again, I, I think I think the worst in the league is the Jags, personally. I love what they did with the helmet. Because I, I hated that gradient helmet where you had half black, half gold. Oh, that was terrible. I don't hate, I don't hate the concept. But when your logo is mostly gold, it just looks horrible. I mm-hmm. love the the Jag just on a black helmet looks perfect. But then they didn't have to touch the jerseys, like the the the, the sweaters themselves, the shirts. Canadian, right? I say sweater, not jersey. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but you know they didn't have to touch it, and instead they took everything away. Like I, I you know, the, basically it's black with white numbers, and then the road the road jersey is even worse. It's white with just black numbers. There's nothing else, no piping, and I just thought. I th- that's why I think the Jags are the worst because it's the most boring. It, I want at least teams taking chances, doing new interesting things. I don't, you know, I, sorry, but I don't really like a lot of the stuff the Browns do with the jerseys. Although these new ones, emphasizing more the brown orange, that's kind of that's the color of the helmet. That's where I feel like they should be emphasizing more because not a lot of teams have those colors. Uh, no, only one other team has uh, as orange as a primary color, and that's the Bengals. I guess the Broncos technically, but they oh, incorporate yeah, enough yeah, blue. About the Broncos. They incorporate enough blue that it's different enough. Like it doesn't. Yeah, it, the Bengals are orange and black. The Browns are orange and brown. Um, they're similar enough in that in that color scheme. I completely forgot about the Broncos for a second. Um, but uh, one last thing about uniforms: the Rams uniforms that just got released. Do you have an opinion on those? I have a crazy conspiracy theory about all of this. I think. Um, who's the, oh, I can't remember, is it Spanos the Chargers owner? Spanos is the Chargers, Stan Kroenke is the, uh, the Rams. Yeah, uh, Span, yeah, but I think, I think Spanos is fed up with Americans and just like that whole LA scene and like he, he hated it in the Chargers, now he's not getting his way in LA. I could see him saying if, if, if they go ahead and then do the London thing and the, let's say the Jaguars, which seems like is the likely team to move, they put a team out there. If you're going to do a London team, why not do two? And maybe that's maybe I'm even going way too crazy on this, but maybe Spanos decides I'm going to move a team to to somewhere 
maybe it's it's maybe it's the UK, wherever it is, rebrand completely. I get to do everything I want. I don't know if that's what he's thinking. And and then what you do is you basically are, and you're already doing it this year. You fuse the Chargers and Rams together, mm-hmm. and it's basically one LA team. Um, Spanos gets the you take you know you strip the Chargers kind of organization and and like the personnel, and you you, you know you bring all them with you. you. Don't have to talk about Cleveland and scenarios like that, right? Yeah. We've seen that, so it's doable. And then you basically fuse, you know, you t- any players that are on contract, you kind of bring them over. And then this new Rams team, Rams Chargers team, whatever, however you want to call it, the Bolt Rams. I, I had a better name for it, but it, it's it's such a crazy theory. It's probably not going to happen, but <laughs> it's the only other logical explanation. Because why are the Chargers and Rams jerseys, logos? Why is everything starting to look so similar? Like, do they really want these teams to be one team? Because that's that's the only other logic I can see behind it, other than they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, and it's probably that, unfortunately. It, it's probably they have no idea what they're doing because I was not a fan of those. The, the more detail I saw of the new Rams uniforms, the the less I liked them, and I did not like them at all when I first saw them. <laughs> you know, seeing the seeing the you know the gradient and the numbers, and they're they're trying to put like the the little Ram logo into the numbers on it too, and the bone color. The bone color, in theory, is a good idea, but that's like a. An alternate uniform you wear like once. That's not your all-time away uniform. You know what I mean? I yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, um, just just how it is. It's just it's not a good uniform set. Luckily, Packers have a simple uniform, classic. Browns went I, back to having classic uniform. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna take over as host and ask you a question, okay. James. Uh, what's your favorite uniform in the NFL? Ooh. That is a tough one. That really is. Um, I have my answer ready, and if everyone want time to think about it, go ahead. What's your answer? Mine is the Panthers. Okay, and I think it's good that they haven't changed at all. Um, so I love the the way the hel- specifically the Panthers black jerseys, their home black ones, because I love the way the helmet. The silver with with the black logo, the, the helmet itself looks really nice. The blue accents, but I think it also looks really good in comparison with the black shirt. And those two things together, I love the blue accents over the shoulders and, and throughout um, and, and just their willingness to kind of incorporate it. And anytime they do a color rush, they do, I find they always do it great. They're just the full blue. Um, their white jerseys as well, their regular road white jerseys might be one of the best in the NFL. Because it, I think that helmet just it works well, whether it's white or black. And I think no matter what the Panthers have, it's, it seems like it's it always looks really good. And I'm glad that even with new ownership, they're changing a lot of personnel, but they haven't touched the, the uniforms yet because I think I think it's the best in the NFL. So you really don't want to tinker with it, in my mind. Yeah, for, for teams that have uh, more of that modern look to them, the Panthers are definitely one of the better ones that, that have that sort of modern spin on it. Um Classic uniform, or you know, my favorite uniform. I like a good classic uniform. So I'm I'm looking at teams probably, maybe like the Raiders, maybe like the Cowboys. Just, just simple, straightforward. No, no unnecessarily uh, unnecessary flash or unnecessary uh, stuff added to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I like both of those those uniforms, specifically the Cowboys white. I, you know, I, I say in the Panthers might be the one or two best white ones. I think the Cowboys are right there with them. Those are probably the two best white jerseys that we have to offer. Because I find, like, I'm not crazy about the Packers white jersey. It's okay, but certainly not. Their green looks so much better. Yeah, just from a design standpoint, it's just it's it, there's they didn't do anything unnecessary to them. They, they didn't end up doing what you know the Browns did a couple <laughs> years ago. Those uh, absolute complete pieces of garbage that they wore for five seasons yeah those those were bad and, and i think one thing that works well with the packers is the green and gold yellow whatever you want to call it it stands out right whereas mm-hmm. the gold the, the yellow gold with white isn't as it's not as much contrast to it. it's a little too bright so i think uh the packers actually are one of the better ones of the league i definitely put them in the upper tier with their home jersey specifically do you like that the packers always wear yellow pants yeah, yeah, I think it's fine. Uh, I, I think it looks again. It looks good in comparison to the to the green jersey. Not as hap- not not as great on the white. I think that's. I think that there are a few teams where their their color jerseys are, are much better than their white. It's kind of the opposite of the Panthers, where it seems like everything's consistent. I think the Packers are one where they they do take a step down when they go to the white. I I, I would you know asking me being creative, I would go with maybe like a green pants with the white jerseys. I wonder. That'd be interesting. Yeah, but not not yeah. a horrible white jersey, yeah. but certainly not as good as what their 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 home colored are. 
And I and I'm I'm someone who hates whenever they go with the, the old fake Notre Dame ones. Like I know that's I know that's what they used to be. Curly Lambo made it that color because it was the Notre Dame colors, but it's Green Bay. It should be green. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, because one of the uh, I guess contentious subjects in, in when it comes to the the Moot Browns uniforms is um, the brown pants that they are incorporating. I am not a fan of the brown pants. It just, in my opinion, um, I would rather see orange pants instead of brown pants. But that's just me, because I think if you're going to do a, a a different colored pant, that you know the the color needs to, I guess contrast enough with the with the jersey color i don't think brown and white is enough of a contrasting uh color it doesn't really just kind of blends in together kind of looks boring where i think an orange pant would have been uh, a better look you know because you look at some of the other teams that have you know specifically one color of pants that they wear and it's you know teams like the packers always wear their yellow or gold or whatever you want to call it the steelers always wear yellow uh the cowboys are always wearing their gray ones it just there's certain there's a certain just consistency. The Raiders always wear, I think, silver. But just my opinion, um, I'm not a fan of the brown pants for the Browns. <laughs> and another thing I'm not really a fan of is is the color rush concept in general. I don't really like the monochromaticism. I, I know the the Cardinals used to have all that that all maroon they used to not have white pants it was all just kind of one it was kind of before color rush was a thing they kind of tried to do it but it looked i thought it looked bad i i don't like seeing all of one color i like i like what there's there's some difference in, in somewhere at least different colored pants socks shirt or something um so the whole color rush idea yes it, it looks cool once in a while but i'm most case i'm not really a fan of the color rush I mean, I'm not going to not watch a game just because of the jerseys. I mean, unless it's Titans Jags again on Thursday because they love doing that on Thursday. And apparently they don't have this year. That's surprising. That seems like a, a yearly a, occurrence. And it, and they generally end up actually being, for the most part, pretty close competitive games because both teams kind of suck. Although I think uh, you know Titans looking pretty good last year. Jags not so much. That might not be as, as uh, fun of a game. But I think uh, the worst... Again, I, I, I rag the Jags hard on their jerseys because I think that's something they've never gotten right. They've never – if they just had a simple black helmet with the previous jersey, it would have been perfect. But no, they couldn't do that. Um, but their their color rush one year, it was like puke yellow brown. Like, <laughs> I remember almost those. Oh, it's, it's – and then uh, – I, I just I keep picturing Blake Bortles and he where you know uh, hand cornerbacks have sometimes pockets in front hand warmers it was like a different color brown so you had this different brown on the shirt that was darker it just I thought they looked awful that that was maybe the one game where I was watching like you know what my eyes are I, this is painting my eyes to see this and it wasn't it wasn't it was Titans Jags I think they were both garbage at that point so it's yeah this game isn't going to matter for anything it, it basically who gets the earlier draft pick is the loser <laughs> Um, so that that's the one time, maybe the only time where I've let the actual jerseys judge pose my judgment on whether I'm going to watch a game or not. Well, the fact that the teams weren't good probably didn't help anything. Uh, I remember when the the Jets and Bills would play, and the Jets were in all green, the Bills were in all red, and both teams were terrible at the time. And I'm just like, Ugh, why am I watching yeah, the this? colorblind thing? Because people yep. who were colorblind couldn't see the difference. It was it was bad. They, mm-hmm. it, it showed that the NFL really didn't know what they were doing. They, they were just kind of throwing these ideas around without researching, without actually like putting the work in to f- make sure that this stuff works. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think they've done a good job after they, they got a lot of backlash for that one. I think they've since consulted agencies to f- make sure that, you know, people who are colorblind aren't going to mix up. It really, it seems like the most common form of it is red green. So those are the, you know, as long as you can avoid those two, you should be mostly fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I'm just over Color Rush. It, it had its moment. Uh, I think it's past that moment in time now. Um, I, I think uh, from from a Browns perspective, a lot of people embrace the Color Rush uniforms because of how bad their standard set was. <laughs> so they weren't necessarily great. It's just in comparison, this is this is so much better. You know what I mean? So it's just you know. So when they came up with the the new. I guess the new classic uniforms they have now, and they're like, "Here's the color rush." I'm just like, I don't give a shit about that. Just give me, a, just give me the standard ones uh, and some orange pants. <laughs> and again, over the color rush, I like what they do with the cleats, the my cleats, my cause, because there's a charitable aspect to them. There's some creativity because each person's cleats are going to be designed differently. I love that. I want them to kind of focus more on that than than they do the color rush. 
Yeah, I would like to see them do that every week, honestly. I don't care yeah. what color cleats that they wear. I mean, I'm not watching the game to watch to pay attention to, to guys' cleats or if that one guy has cleats, uh, you know, that aren't necessarily conforming to the to the uniform code that they seem to be selectively uh, enforcing, by the way. Because um, I can't remember who was talking about it, but, like, defensive backs with gloves, oh, your team, if you're playing at home you wear white gloves so they the refs can't see your hand on the jersey as as easily if you're so you know players are doing that with their gloves where they're they're picking the colors that kind of almost give them an advantage mm-hmm. they're how are they going to get advantage from cleat color if anything it's going to be louder it'll be easier for a defensive back to see you it, it probably doesn't make a difference at all but you know if, if and again there's so much positivity coming from that you know you're promoting all these charities um, letting players show their artistic side or their creative side, or at least letting, you know, just seeing something really colorful and cool. So yeah, I, I agree. I think that's something they should they should really push that every week. Yeah, I would like to see it more on a, a on a uh, on a weekly basis because you always see guys go out and you know warm up cleats and all that stuff, and they're always so much cooler looking than the standard team color, you know, or or black or white or whatever uh, third color that they're permitted to wear. It's always just. It's a little bit more exciting, even though in Cleveland's case, it, it seems to be a distraction because Mr. Beckham decides to get in trouble with the referees. There's always a distraction in Cleveland. I mean, that's it's the story that's been going on for 20 years. It's always a distraction, always dysfunction, 20? never. Well, that's how long they've been back for. Um, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, it just there's never think nothing seems to be settled ever, and it just it seems uh, like that's the, how it's going to be. The autogram Jim Brown years. <laughs> yep, you know, got to not see any of that since that happened thirty, forty years <laughs> before I was, you know, twenty, forty years before I was born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't remember that far back. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely not old enough to, to even come close to remembering that far back. <laughs> uh, I, I remember when the Browns moved, and that's that's really about it. That's as far back as my memory goes. So it's been <laughs> nonstop disappointment, unfortunately. A nonstop disappointment. Uh, you know, the team that, that moved and relocated has won two Super Bowls, and uh, we ours highlight has been... Joe Thomas, <laughs> Joe Thomas, uh, a single playoff appearance, and uh, the, the greatest, a, qu- a quarterback the greatest left jersey. tackle of all time. Sixteen All Pros, zero playoff appearances.